You are listening to Arnold and William McCarthy live from Red Hook, Brooklyn, New York City, USA. Hey, hey, hey. What's going on, everyone? How are you doing? Okay, it is a little gray. It's a little bit February. No biggie, no biggie. We're just rolling through it. Just checking up. How you guys doing? Things are grand over here. Um, I'm I'm on to some like really interesting breakthrough stuff that doesn't happen as much as we'd like as 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 creatives, right? So I'll tell you what's been going on. And I apologize for any road noise. I'm doing the podcast in a different room of the house today uh, just because it's brighter up here. I feel like I'm going to do a dungeon podcast. You are listening to Onward with William McCarthy. I have a rash from my shackles and I, uh, I sleep in my urine because it's the only warmth I can find outside of the breath of the mice. <laughs> That's pretty grim, man. Um, not gonna lie, there's gonna be some some uplifting stuff in this podcast, and there's also gonna be some reality talk. Um, but well, let's talk about art. So, 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 in short, what, what's going on with me is that I, I guess it it all starts like a little like little trickle, right? When we end up somewhere. When I was in Mexico, I went down there to kind of get realigned with myself and and just think about the big picture. I was writing in my Patreon this week that um, we ha- we all have like a mental uh, navigational control tower that where we where we exist, and um, you know when we're younger, we kind of we go there, we we go up the stairs, we go to our control tower, we we navigate, we go back down, we hang out with our friends, we. You know, it's funny, the older you get, you kind of spend more time up in your navigational place. And 2019 was, I really feel like, was was uh, robbed from me because I got stuck in this, like, mental, cerebral navigational place when I wasn't really living. And I realized that over New Year's. So I went to Mexico. And uh, I went to Mexico because a friend of mine is a painter and he's a, he's a really talented guy. And I really actually adore the guy. And he just has this glow, and I've talked about it in other podcasts. So I go down there, and I start shooting photos. And, um, you know, I have a video that's going to come out. Um, and I filmed it in South America and a bit in Spain. And it, I, I had bought this camera because I believe that, you know, all artists probably have come to the conclusion that, you know, what is it, if you give a man a fish for a day, he's full or teach him to fish he can eat for a lifetime I guess it's the gist of it or mangled it but the idea is that like I just keep hiring people or I have for many years I've hired an editor hired a, a camera guy or hired a, a engineer or whoever and you end up at this place where you're basically project managing everything and everybody else is making a living from it and you put it out and then it's poof gone and I'm not I just realized that I'm not progressing um, creatively or technically, right? So when I went down to Mexico, 
I started shooting all this photography of these unbelievable street scenes in Oaxaca and these weddings, these like this pageantry, um, people dancing salsa around the corner at night under the moonlight, cathedrals. And I was just thinking like, you know what, I'm shooting all of this. So I started doing photography again and I reconnected with this side of me. And strangely, I reconnected with photography and reconnected with myself by doing Ladies and gentlemen, drum roll, woodwork. <laughs> I bought this like burning tool and started doing artwork in wood and it really woke me up. Sounds crazy. So I'm here now. And what I've decided to do is I am teaching myself how to... Wow, that's a nice New York noise. I'm teaching myself how to film. And I've done it before and I just so... What this is about is when my album comes out this year, I've been directing videos, right, for to, for this album. And I want to actually film and direct and edit them, which I've never done before. So today, throughout the week, I've been building out a studio. Um, I've got it downstairs. It's a dingy, old, funky, smelly, drab... Uh, it's just, it's kind of, kind of like a, a grab, a, a drab grim or a grab um, type of feeling down there. But I really worked hard at like sprucing it up, trying to get color in there. I brought in some wildflowers, which is an odd, strange, uh, counterintuitive move, but it's worked. Um, I messed with the lighting a little bit and I'm trying to make it a workplace. I, tr I was trying to write songs down there, which is great, but New York's freezing. Like, it's freezing six months of the year, so um, I wasn't spending a whole lot of time. So I got myself a little space heater, 25 bucks or whatever from Home Depot, and I'm actually able to spend a little more time down there. So now I'm building out. Um, I'm spending most of my time learning Final Cut Pro, um, and I, always, I already can use Logic pretty well. Final Cut Pro and Photoshop, and I'm really trying to just like improve. So wish me luck. I am so excited about it. And I, I'm not saying that in like a rah, rah, rah way, but it's more of like a developmental way. I think once you learn or teach yourself something like this, it's very difficult to ever go back to the ignorance is bliss way. And I think that I was just coming to these like interactions with other creatives or technical people. I was just coming so armed and so prepared with, with thoughts and concepts and where this should all go and what it should look like that it, it's just getting to the point where it's like, why don't you just learn it, man? So while I'm not, um, I haven't played any show since December, I think that it's a good trade-off. So I'm kind of like got my, um, my Camaro in the shop here and I'm going to be shipping back out armed and ready. Well, sitting in my house on my little strange industrial street, sound of trucks coming in and out. There is a, a very gritty boiler room repair shop next door. And, uh, these guys are all from either Trinidad or Jamaica and they, um, they stand in front of the shop in the mornings in the snow, the rain, the sleet, the overbearing humidity, 
pushing down on all of us and they and they go to work every day and they're very uh, vibrant very loud you can hear them laughing um, you can hear them yelling you can hear them backing up vans and there's just like this kind of ruckus going on and it sounds weird but I always think of Anne Frank um, there was her father owned a gelatin company I think for jello um, Basically, what later became Jello. I think her father had a gelatin company in the downstairs where his business was. And when the family went up to the annex in hiding, they went up in this, you know, up in the attic essentially. But they could hear the workers downstairs still. If you ever read her book, and it's funny. I, I sometimes I sit and working on my music, and I can hear these guys kind of like carrying on and. It's like the outside world. It's the those truck routes that they're driving. I have driven. I've been on the Brooklyn Queens Expressway. Um, I, I, I used to drive a truck in Long Island City just 10 years ago. So it's very interesting. But one thing that's that's I, you have to acknowledge is very interesting that it's it's an all black boiler room like. I guess like working class gritty repair and usually it, and I, I talk about this because it's very interesting a lot of if you've ever been in New York you know there's constantly changing shifts like culturally and one of the things I've been writing a lot about is there was a guy named Takashi 69 in Brooklyn that recently went to prison for some like uh, I guess some murder rap charges he was a hip-hop guy and MC, but what's really interesting about him is he's a Mexican Brooklynite, kids probably 22 or 23, and it really shows that like it acknowledges the population of Mexican people that live in in Brooklyn and New York City because it's not often acknowledged, and it, a lot of the workforce is essentially invisible. So you've got people who are um, from a, a country there's like a diaspora or like a travel roots. People come up here. They work, they go back down, um, usually from the from Puebla in Mexico. And you are starting to see now like Mexican people getting off of that first that arrival place of being like a delivery guy or, you know, a construction worker and people are owning their own businesses and they have for the past 20, 30 years and they're surfacing. But it's interesting with the African American um, experience or the West Indies or Caribbean people that are here. It's an amazing aspect of Brooklyn. Um, as I sit and I walk through the streets of Brooklyn, I have to look around and think like every culture has this such a contribution, but there's something very interesting that I don't talk about a lot in my neighborhood. Let's take a break when we come back. We will open up the discussion of Van Brunt, the dividing line. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. 
We left off by talking about how there's a dividing line in my neighborhood in Brooklyn and that there's a West Indian um, or Caribbean entire like shop. There's not uh, uh, any other ethnicities. There's no Latino people. There's no Russian people, no Polish people. There's no Albanian people. Um, there's no Venezuelan people. It is specifically an all Jamaican like workshop, which is really cool. And to the left of me, you've got kind of more of a, I think it's, they must be renting out those spaces um, to different artists. And it's generally a wood shop. So it's kind of, you kind of like wood shop guys on the left. Now, one interesting thing in New York that we're going through is that there is a palpable frustration in the air. Yesterday I was on the train. I was going to the city to try to get some like filming stuff for the studio that I'm building. And this woman, African-American woman, absolutely went off on me on the train. And she basically said, you were sitting too close. Um, I need like, you need to get your ass out of the seat. I hate like, you, don't look at me. Don't like turn your face. And she was loud. And then it seemed like she was being, because she was, she did not care about being loud. She made more of a spectacle of it. So it went on and it like kind of broke my heart as it has before. I've been through this situation before. And at the end of it, she says, I hate you white motherfuckers. So we've got to talk about race. I've been really outspoken as many people have as not being okay during the Trump era and the Trump administration about race relations because people are not getting along. The lady was yelling at me so badly on the train that the guy sitting next to me asked me if I wanted to switch places with him. She then pulled out her phone and she made some kind of call to like a parole officer or somebody about prison and it made me realize, wow lady, you just think I'm white. Ha. <laughs> You have no idea that I have been on the phone with prisons before in my own family. And it's, it's very interesting. I was thinking about the woman as like what she saw as a kid and how she developed and how if you look at a tree and you cut it down and you look at the rings, you can see when there's been a fire, a forest fire, just by looking at the rings. And I wondered like what kind of forest fire raged inside of this woman. Was it a forest fire of... Um, Education, a forest fire of police brutality, poverty, healthcare. Healthcare is hard for many people in this country. What has this poor lady been through? What I've, I've, when I was a child, I had to deal with welfare and be in those lines and get the, that those food stamps and deal with that. Like, did she deal with that? Is that why she's so like like traumatized or damaged that she would think it you know this was acceptable to berate somebody for sitting too close to her anyways that feeling of tension is everywhere here now there's a grocery store that, that it's a you know red hook's like a small town there's a grocery store and what's weird about it is that all the employees are from the projects. They're all black kids or adults, actually. Some of them are young, some of them are older. And Fairway is closing. 
And it's breaking my heart because what's going to happen with all these guys? I would assume there's 200 employees there. And it's a very weird thing with Fairway because when I go to that grocery store, it's overpriced. Um, it's beautifully, it, the, the location's phenomenal. It overlooks the, like the water and the Statue of Liberty. There's an old above ground trolley car in the back. But when you walk through there, you get this feeling that those people are probably just as like rubbed wrong by affluence as I am. And, but I'm not returning to the project, so I understand that. But I will say, when you go to Fairway, the grocery store, you go to the, the JFK airport, it seems largely the sourced, like the employees are sourced from areas that are not wealthy. And they're, they're, they're working places or they're, they're poverty-stricken places. So you get this feeling walking around that, like, damn, like I'm, I'm a gentrifier. I've pushed people out. And anyways, my girlfriend was talking about this because she she works in the neighborhood too and her boss wrote her something um, that uh, works at the bar. It's called White Privilege and I thought I would read it to you guys. And it outlines the tension and the patience and the love and the wisdom and the equality that should be there and the gap and all of this clusterfuck. This is from a boss to her employees called white privilege. Fuck white privilege does not mean fuck white people, even though that is sometimes also the case. White privilege is a system of privileges given to white people based along deeply ingrained history of racism and inequality. White privilege does not mean every white person has it easy. It doesn't mean white people have never had individual struggles. It means the current and historical, political, social, judicial, and financial systems in place not only benefit white people, but actively work to retain that power within the group. White privilege is really being made aware of the fact that you are white. White privilege is having your identity be default and the normal instead of other equally recognized and represented identities. White privilege is the external factors and not your race. White privilege is choosing when to think about white privilege. So yes, fuck white privilege. This is real, man. And there's a, you know, in 2019, 18 and 19, the, the Me Too movement, it's weird being a white dude. I've made jokes about on stage about that. It's weird being a white male right now. But I, this is a long time coming. I completely understand. And I, and I, I, I support it. But man, you can feel it out there in the streets. And I guess change doesn't come easy and we have to turn the other cheek. And when that woman went off on me and I felt like the rub of, of what's happened to, to people, like the like racism, like how, like how, how damaging that is, like institutionalized racism for long amounts of time. Uh, that you might just be a representative of this person that's oppressive or this these people that were oppressive and um, I guess you got to turn the other cheek educate yourself take a deep breath I talk to your kids about it if you're a creative put it back into your work try to have people's back even if they're yelling at you in your face um, and quite loudly on the A train this has been my podcast today. 
I am getting back down there to the studio to keep building. What I'm going to be doing is doing a lot more video content, recording songs, songwriting, interviewing people. I'm even thinking about doing a video podcast. Can you believe it? Um, I know the topics that we talk about are fun, goofy, out there. Sometimes they're heavy, sometimes they're real. Uh, and yeah, I just want to talk about frictions in this Trump era. Guys, keep your chin up. I know it's February, it's dreary, it's Thursday, it's not quite Friday, you're almost there. I've given you a big hug, and uh, you'll be hearing from me soon. And I want to say thank you to all my Patreon people and all my Augustines and William McCarthy fans. I have tour news on the next podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. You've been listening to Honor with William McCarthy, live from New York City.